0: Thank you, David, very much. Before I begin with our sermon this morning, we are going to pray for our Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. There are 508 boxes up here on my right and my left, and I have a note from Kay Hoover, who is sort of the coordinator for our Operation Christmas Child uh, ministry here, and she says, A big thank you to everyone that purchased items for the Operation Christmas Child boxes. We had eight people label and fold the boxes. Fourteen people came out Friday evening to get the items lined up on the tables, and 19 people on Saturday Filled the boxes, so thank you, everyone who donated either money or came and donated items to fill these boxes. Um, It's just a it's a ministry that we've done here now for for several years, and um, we are going to need a little help because of the weather messed up some of our transportation plans to get some of these boxes to the Methodist Church in town. So, if you would be willing to do that, if you have a vehicle that maybe we could load some boxes in and you could go down the church, Bill, would you stand up or raise your hand over here? So there's the guy who's in charge of this, and we don't want Bill to have to carry each one of these individually to the Methodist Church, Um, so uh, that would take a long time. So uh, if you could help see him after the service, and I may mention that again at the end of the announcements this morning. So would you just join me in prayer as we pray for these boxes? Father, it is really neat that as a community of people, we can bring in tablets and pencils and t-shirts and toothbrushes and balls and matchbox cars and all the little things that we're able to put in these boxes. And thank you for Samaritan's Purse and the ministry that will see to the delivery of millions of these boxes around the world. Father, we do not know where the boxes are going, but you do. And so we pray not only will they provide some joy and some fun things for kids in other parts of the world, but we're also thankful for the gospel and the information that goes out there and that these are distributed Um, in that way. So just pray that you would do whatever you would with these boxes, and thank you for the abundance that we have that allows us to pull these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so if you are here for the first time in a while, you have come in at the last message on a series of messages that we have been doing called Heaven and Hell. We've been looking at eternity, and so some of the messages are available online. Um, others of them, we had some technical difficulties, but if this is an interesting topic to you, I can certainly provide you a manuscript copy of the message, or if you really want to, I'll come to your house and preach it to you individually just for you. I'll do that for you too, if you want me to, to do that. Hopefully not too many of you want me to do that, but I will offer it to you. So let me just recap a little bit of where we were. So week one, we talked about why is it important to talk about heaven and hell. And one of the reasons that it's important is that if eternity is real, right, if, if you are going to live forever, then you're going to live forever in some place um, heaven or hell, at least that, that's the way the Bible has revealed it to us. And so this ought to be really important to us because it's, you know, eternity is a really, really long time. Then we looked at what will heaven be like. And I believe that the main thing about heaven is not that we'll be with family and that we're going to have our little mansion somewhere or we're going to be able to you know, have unending potato salad at the family reunion, but rather that God will be there. God will be there. The presence of God is what is referred to over and over again in the Bible. And again, this point, because this was really something that I had not thought about and it really wasn't emphasized to me, so I've been emphasizing it every week. When the Bible talks about heaven, when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus or receiving Jesus, it doesn't talk about do that so you can go to heaven. It talks about doing that so you can be with Jesus. So being with him is really what heaven is is all about. And seeing, I think, the glory of God on display. What will we be like was the third week and talked a little bit about the fact that we would have bodies and, and that we will be alive for the very first time. All of those characteristics in you that you appreciate about yourself, your love and your peace and your joy and your patience, all of those things will be able to be fully on display, unhindered, unhindered excuse me, by your sin or by the sin of anyone else. And then last week, we began this two-week look at at hell with talking about what is hell like. And I gave to you the sort of three main views of what uh, people think that hell is going to look like. It's either eternal suffering or it is going to be a finite period of suffering at which time your soul or spirit will just cease to exist. That's typically referred to as annihilationism. And then there's a third view which is called restorationism which means that everything is going to be and everybody is going to want, at one point in time be restored to God in, um, in heaven. And so that's another third, uh, third view. And those views have really been taught throughout church history. Um, and I share with you that my view is the first one, the eternal view of hell, probably the one that most of you are most familiar with. But I did give you links last week to a couple of sermons that you could follow along um, with to get a little bit more of the, uh, the view of the other two areas that I don't have as much time to go into today. So as we begin, first slide says that the topic of hell should bring many questions to our minds, right? If you really think about this, you ought to come up with some questions. You ought to think about it in a way that that would make, well, yeah, but what about, and we're going to look at one of those questions today. But one of the things that I really want to encourage you, and and I think often that we we tend not to think that that we're either, I'm not sure what we, sometimes the Bible seems to intimidate us. And we feel like, you know, I just don't know enough about it. Like, I didn't go to seminary, or I didn't go to Bible college, or I don't read my Bible every day, or I don't... There's really not that much information written down in the Bible about hell. Really, you could read the whole thing and probably a couple of books about it in the time it takes you to watch one series on Netflix, right? I mean, by the time you get through, I don't know what the popular series is on Netflix these days, but by the time you got through the whole thing, If you had taken that time instead and read what the Bible says about hell and probably read a book or two about it, you'd be really educated. And then you'd be able to begin to help make some of your own decisions about what you believe and why you believe what you believe. So I really want to encourage you to to do that and then live by those convictions in your life. I think it would help us to avoid what the next slide reminds us, is that sticking to the true teaching of the Bible helps us not to fall into the false stereotypes of things for something like hell. Now again, I recognize that somebody can read the Bible and they interpret, interpret it about hell in one way, and others can read the Bible and interpret it a different way. I think one of those interpretations is right, and one of them is probably wrong, but... We can talk about it at least, and it keeps us from getting into the weird stereotypes, you know, the devil with a pitchfork and a tail and the horns and us, uh, you know, up in heaven with harps and stuff like that, that sitting on clouds. So just kind of stick to the scripture, if if you will. And then maybe speculate a little, but when you do, you know, make sure that other people know that you're that you're speculating. But I think we really ought to know about this. We ought to know about heaven. We ought to know about hell. It should serve to shepherd us and help us to live our lives each day. So today's question is simply this Is hell too severe? Does anyone really deserve hell? Now, whether you would say that hell lasts forever or whether you would say that your sin is punished for some number of years, whether that would be five years or 500 years or 5,000 years, is that, just, is that too severe? Is it, is it too much for something like that to actually be true? And that ought to be a question, I think, that you should think about if you think about hell. And if you believe, like I do, that hell is a place of eternal suffering, boy, that question really comes right to the forefront of my mind. Wow, that doesn't really seem fair. To, to have some sort of finite amount of sin that is then punished for an innumerable amount of years kind of goes against the grain of even maybe fairness. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. But maybe other questions come up in, in your mind. Is the idea of, of fire, whether that's literal or whether that's just a word that was used to describe the quality of torment or quality of punishment that's in hell, is that really fair? Is that really really not too too harsh for most people's sin in their lives? So what I want to do is I look at these questions for a few minutes today, and I want to kind of go back and think about it in terms of, of how we might think about it in human society. Because I believe, I think it flows out of being created in the image of God, that much of the spiritual truth that we have can be reflected in just how we live our lives. What we think about, how we how we do this. So, now not all things, because God's ways are higher than our ways, and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and He is sovereign and holy and infinite, and we are Sinful and finite and not holy. So it's hard for us to understand. But, but a lot of times, if you just think about it rationally, I think some of these things make more sense than what we give them credit. So let's begin. First thought everyone believes that some type of punishment for wrongdoing is necessary. I am quite sure that those of you that have retirement accounts, if you were to go on Monday and log into your retirement account and you saw that somebody had stolen all the money out of your retirement account, your first thought would not be, oh, okay. No big deal. Right? No, no, you would want to find out how to get that money back, which would inevitably lead to finding out who did it and punishing them in some way for that. Or if we went out to um, our cars today and we found out that somebody had stolen your car, you would probably not go... No big deal, they probably needed it more than I did anyway. No, you would want it back, and you would probably think it would be appropriate to find the person who stole your car and punish them in some way for theft. So, I mean, we kind of all come from that sort of mindset. We understand that, that some type of punishment is needed for some type of wrongdoing, right? I think we all sort of operate from that sense. If you're here this morning and you think, nope, I don't think that any kind of punishment for any kind of wrongdoing is needed you can do anything you want to me. Please let me know where your car's parked, and we'll see what happens. All right, so what I want to do, think about two words, though, as it re- relates to this idea. And the first one is um, the idea of deserve. Right? Does, does anybody really deserve hell? And then the idea of duration. Is, is eternal punishment really fair? Or is eternal punishment, does that really make um, sense in our in our lives. So let's think about this again in terms of human perspective. Human society has decided that different kinds of actions deserve different levels of punishment, right? Right. We we know that um, you know that if you get um, arrested for jaywalking, you're going to get a particular level of punishment. If you are arrested for armed robbery you're going to get a different level of punishment and that all seems fair to us. We don't think, because I mean, I jaywalk all the time. So I would hope that punishment for jaywalking, or if you speed, right? If you speed, you get a ticket and there's a level of punishment associated with that. Usually, um, most of us, fines that we have to pay. We recognize that that's not as severe as a, a physical assault, and so we would not anticipate that. the. So we, we write, this is all written down in our system of law. This is written down in the way that we distribute as a society punishment. Now, our way of doing it is not certainly the, it's not foolproof, right? I mean, we recognize that for generations, and unfortunately I'm sure this still continues today, but for generations, the color of your skin or the amount of money that you had available to you for a defense would determine the kind of punishment that you received. I mean, that's just the way the system, because the system is imperfect. The human system is imperfect, right? But, but here's where we begin to, to see a little bit of the problem. You might think that the appropriate punishment for sin X is Y, but I might think that the appropriate punishment for sin X is Z, Right? So what you think might be appropriate punishment for a wrongdoing is different than what someone on this side of the room might think is appropriate for the same sin or for the same thing, right? We see that. We see that all the time. In fact, we can't even decide usually whether something is a sin or not in many ways. Like for example, if I go fishing and I have a worm and I tear it in two and I put it on my hook, I am not going to suffer any consequences for that, right? No one in here probably, well, maybe somebody, but nobody probably thinks in here that that's a wrong thing. But if I did something like that to a different kind of creature, I could go to jail, right? I can go to jail for animal cruelty, for, for treating an animal in that way. But, but I don't go to jail for splitting a worm in two. And I don't think we've ever asked the worm how he thinks about it, okay? But we have decided as a society that it's okay to split a worm in two, but it's not okay to do that to, let's say, a cat or a, or a dog or something like that, right? And I can go to jail for that. In, in society, I think it is a terribly horrific thing to abort a baby because of a diagnosis of Down syndrome, I think that's a terrible thing to do. That grieves me that that happens. But in Europe, about 90% of all of the babies that are diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb are aborted. More than 9 out of 10. And I just read something where in the United States, it's about two-thirds right now. Now, I think that is terrible, but maybe you don't. Maybe you think that would be okay, and certainly the vast majority of people think that that would be okay. So do you see what I'm saying? We struggle with even understanding what is wrong, so it's obvious that we're gonna have a little trouble in understanding what the punishment for that wrong ought to be. So how do we think about this as it relates to heaven or hell? I think we need to go to the scripture, all right? I think we need to go to the Scripture. And so we see that the Bible teaches that because of our sin, all deserve hell. All of us deserve it. One example, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Right? I mean, let these words just sort of, you know... There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. And Paul here in Romans is not writing to people who have done horrible crimes. He's not writing to people in prison. He's writing to everybody. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. The the, the bar, uh, if you would, to escape this condemnation is a bar that none of us can, can match. All of us, all of us because of our sin deserve to be punished. Then in Ephesians, Paul writes the same thing to uh, the, the church there in Ephesus. He says, and you, now he's writing to the church, so he's writing to believers here, but he says, You he made alive, God, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right? So, and again. Paul is not writing to the prisoners in Ephesus. He's writing to what you and I would consider to be the good people, He's writing to those, he's writing to everyone. And he's saying, hey, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which I believe is a reference to Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. I mean, this is not flattering language, This is applying to all of us. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, we're by nature children of what? Wrath, just as the others. That as God looks upon us before we've received Christ, the Bible never says that we're children of God. But here in Ephesus, we read, in Ephesians, we read that we're actually children of wrath. Why is that? Because of our sin. And so we all deserve this level of punishment. Again, you might be sitting there saying, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think I deserve that. Well, let me just give you the next slide. We tend to underestimate the severity of our sin. Right? How many of you, as parents, have raised your children and you give your 10-year-old a discipline for something that she did and she says, Mom, I really think you should discipline me more. being grounded for one week isn't enough mom can i have three okay, that's never happened to me right you're 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 your toddler you know can can we extend time out you know can we extend it no 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 because we want to get away with as much as we can get away with and and when often when we when we confront someone even when something that they've done wrong they look at us like not me not me or i didn't mean it or that's not what i wanted We just tend to underestimate the severity of our sin. And can we appreciate, and can I appreciate, that as a sinful, finite creature, I don't even understand how my sin appears to a holy, infinite God. And the same is true for you. Our human experience helps us to see that we tend to underestimate the severity of our sin. Oh, it's just a little lie. It was just a one-night stand. It's just the money that I needed to steal so that I could pay the bills. Right? I mean, these are things we see. We see this in the media all the time. We see it in our own hearts. I ran across this quote. We are in no position to criticize the penalty because we have little understanding of the extent of the guilt involved. Man, I, I just hope you'll sit with that. You have no idea, I have no idea, the guilt, of the depth of my own sin. But God does. And I believe the Bible has told us that if we die apart from a relationship with Jesus, we will spend an eternity in hell, suffering in punishment for the sin that we have committed. But, but the good news is that though everyone deserves it, Everyone can be delivered from hell through Jesus Christ. Everyone deserves it, but everyone can be delivered through Jesus. After that condemnation of mankind in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through three, we read this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, I believe very strongly that all of us deserve eternal punishment, but it doesn't have to end there because God has provided a way for us to escape that, to get away from that through Jesus. But again, I believe the Bible is clear only through him, not through your good works, not through cleaning up your act, not through trying to develop new habits, but through Christ. And you say, oh, that sounds sounds too good to be true. I agree, it does sound too good to be true. But it is true. And I would beg you, if you were here this morning and you are not sure that you have received Christ as your Savior, that you would ask about that. So we could help you. Because we don't want you. I don't want you to enter into the uncertainty of what happens when you die without Christ. So let's think about the duration now. So we thought, about, we thought about deserving. And if you have other questions, obviously we don't have time here to do it, but please see me, text me, email me, whatever. I would love to talk to you about this. So what about the duration of hell? Like, Is it really fair that um, something that you would do for, let's say, 80 years of your life Um, would somehow then equate to an eternal period of suffering. Like, is, is that fair? So let's go back and think about it in a human perspective, all right? So human society is comfortable with determining the length of the punishment, even when the punishment is significantly longer than the time of the crime. So all of us know that our legal system has certain levels of sentencing or certain times of of sentencing or certain punishments for crime depending on the severity of the crime right typically as the severity goes up the time goes up right we all understand this we we, we live in this society Again, yeah, i know it's not perfect and i know sometimes it's not fair but this is sort of the way it works right you understand this we all understand this nobody is standing up there and saying no that's wrong you can't you can't expect somebody to spend more time in prison for murder than you can for um jaywalking right we all understand that no that makes that makes sense is it getting cold in here to you Okay, I'm not sure. Maybe they did that specifically since I'm talking about hell. They got the temperature going down. But it seems like it should go the other way, right? It should go up. But, but anyway, we're not going to worry about that. But I just wanted to let you know if, it's, if you're cold, if you need to go get a jacket or stand up and your drum jacks or whatever, you can, you can certainly do that. All right, so, so I want to think about this for a minute. So suppose that there was an 18-year-old, we'll just say male, 18-year-old man, who committed a murder, shot somebody. How long did it take him to pull the trigger? A second, all right? Probably less than a second, but let's just say a second, okay? And let's say that person then was sentenced to life in prison because of that, and that he lived to be 80 years old. So he went into jail at 18, and he spent 62 years of his life in jail before he passed away. So here's, here's the math for that. If a man served 62 years in prison for a crime that took one second to commit, now you say, well, wait a minute, but if it was premeditated and he thought about it and, and all of that, and yeah, I get that, but he's not in jail for thinking about it. Okay? Right? He's in jail because he actually did it, and when he did it, it took him a second to do it. So if he was sentenced then to 62 years in prison, he would have been punished 1,955,232,000 times longer than his crime. His crime of one second which was punished then for, in this my example, 62 years, is 1, 955, 230, excuse me 955, 232 thousand times as long as the crime. We don't have a problem with that. Now, I'll use the same multiplier to my idea of sinning before God. If we apply the same multiplier, a man who sinned against God for 50 years would spend 97,761,600,000 years in hell. Now, that's not eternity, but it's a long time. It's a long time. So what we are comfortable with as a society, and most of us, I think, would be comfortable with long sentences for people that we think have done heinous things, even when those heinous acts really only took a fraction of time, What's the difference? So I don't know. Do we really have such a problem with the duration? I believe that Jesus taught about the eternity, eternal nature of hell. Here's just one example from Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goats as a metaphor for those who are his followers and those who are not his followers. And in reference to the goats he says, these will go away into everlasting punishment. But in reference to the sheep, he says, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, the Greek word here that is translated everlasting and the Greek word that is translated eternal is the same Greek word. And so, does Jesus mean something as it relates to the punishment different than what he means as it relates to the life? Now, if you listen to those sermons um, by Bruxy Cavey that I read last week, he mentions that the word for eternal, which in the Greek word is ainos, A-I-N-O-S, can sometimes mean eternal, forever, but sometimes means just a long period of time. And he's right about that. And you use it, and I use words the same way. Have you ever said, I stood in line forever to get this? Right? We've all said that. You know, I've stood in line forever. I've been waiting forever for you to get out of the bathroom. Well, no, you haven't, all right? But, but that's how we use the word to, to express a long period of time and sometimes maybe a longer time than we had anticipated. So, we use, so, so it's the same way. We use the language the same way. But, but it's interesting that Jesus chose this word and wouldn't it be strange if Jesus meant in relation to the punishment, he just meant a long time, but eventually it would end. But in relation to life, he would mean something different. And I don't know of anybody in Christianity who teaches that heaven is going to go on for a long time but then eventually you're just going to stop to stop existing. I'm not aware of anybody who teaches that. Same word, same sentence. Doesn't seem logical to me that Jesus had different meanings in mind. So I believe Jesus knew that hell was in fact and will be in fact eternal. Okay? One more thought. Hell is not revealed. We talked about this last week, but hell is not revealed in the Bible to be a place of rehabilitation. I wish it was. It's just not. It's just not revealed that way. And so again, we think about, of, about our own human justice system. If we felt like certain people could be rehabilitated, we would let them out. And we do feel that way in some things, right? We have some crimes that you serve five years or ten years or whatever it is, and then you're out of prison. And we hope that you have been rehabilitated to the point where you will not do that same crime again. But aren't there certain acts Certain things that you do, that you could do, that other people do, that we say, no, you are never allowed to come out of prison. We never believe that you will be rehabilitated to be able to be a part of society again. And so we have expressions like, lock them up and throw away the key. Right? Happens all the time. Now, it would be great if we actually could know that that person had been rehabilitated so that they could have been let out. Right? How many of you have heard, and I think I've shared this story one, more time, one time before, years ago, but those of you that are my age and a little bit older, you remember Son of Sam, David Berkowitz, who in New York City killed, I believe it was six women, and I think it tried to kill two or three more. And if you remember, it was, it was on the nightly news every single night, and we weren't even in New York City, but it was on the news every single night. And they finally caught him, and he was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences in prison. Well, I happen to know a man who spent some time in prison, who was good friends with a man who knows David Berkowitz, and he has totally changed. He met Jesus Christ in prison. And it wasn't a simple jailhouse conversion so he could try to get out of thing. He wrote a book called Son of Hope, which I've read, which is a very interesting book. He chronicles his life and chronicles him finding Christ in prison. I think we could let David Berkowitz out of prison and it would do him good. It wouldn't do the victims any different and it would do society good because we wouldn't have to pay the bill. But we're not going to do that. And he knows it in his book. He said, I oh, know I'm not going to get out of prison. I believe God has now called me here to serve and to follow and to spread the gospel inside the walls. But, but hell is just not revealed in the Bible to be a place like that. And so for the duration you don't ever get better in hell. And one more question, or one more thought. Would a sinner in hell not continue sinning? Right? I mean, is there anything about hell that, that, would, that would let us think that when we got there, we would all of a sudden stop sinning? I don't think so. And so you have a need for continual punishment. Now, as I wrap this up, and I wrap this whole series up, I just want to talk about this last slide. For me, for me, the darkness of hell, and I believe it is eternal, and I believe it is a place of suffering, but what it does is it illuminates the cross in a spectacular way. Because when you think about those times in your life, perhaps, when you deserve something really bad, and someone stepped in, and took it away for you. Took your punishment. How does that make you feel? That makes you feel really good about that person. You didn't deserve them to do it, they just did it. That's what the cross is like. You and I deserve hell because of our sin. But Jesus says, I took that for you. I took that for you now receive me. And all of that punishment is gone away. We're going to sing the hymn, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I I just want to recite the first verse for you and let you think about it before we sing it. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. I think that rings even truer and more glorious when we understand the truth about hell and what Jesus is offering us. And as we sing, I beg you, if you are not sure that you have received Christ as Savior, you say, well, I'm a pretty good person. It doesn't count. Well, I remember when I was seven, I prayed a prayer, I raised my hand or I did something at vacation Bible school. I don't know what's your life been like since then. Is that still meaningful to you? It's not fire insurance. I invite you Trust Him now. Invite Him now. If you've got questions, ask them. Fill out that comment card. Text us. Email us. Say, I I don't know. I want to know. Because you could invite Him into your life right now and stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And you don't have to wonder how He could love you, a sinner condemned unclean. You can experience that love, maybe for the first time. Let's pray. Father, I guess God is, I think, about wrapping this whole series up. I guess for me, it's not really that important if we think that hell is eternal or if we think that it's just for a long time. Either way, there's a lot of suffering involved. And Without Jesus, we miss everything that you have for us here on earth as well. Father, I pray that that the teaching that you have given us in your word about hell and about eternity will shepherd us today. That we will look for opportunities to, as Tracy suggested, to live in thankfulness for all that you have done for us and to share the good news of Jesus in as many possible ways as we can. Not so much out of fear, but really out of love, but ever mindful of the fact that we are sinners and we need your help desperately. Father, cement this into our minds today. In Jesus' name, amen.